Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as uh, uh, spring, well, spring and April just kind of rolls on and we've, we're, we're now getting to the end of the spring sports and, uh, of course, the most important spring sport of all, spring football, right? Anybody? Uh, I know how Brian feels about it, but, uh, and I know, and I really know how Eric feels about it, but you know who, you know who we will have as our guest today? Talking about that, Jeremy Brenner. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Jeff. I know we want. To, I know you're more excited about the Rockets, but um, I mean, I mean, Jeremy was the one guy that was there, right? You were there. Somebody look, was spring, there. Well, Derek was spring there too. Football, spring football. I think the the lack of appeal about spring football is that it's not fall football. It's That's not. Fall it does, it does that, is, that is, is ironclad. <laughs> so we are but black and gold. Some- yeah, but we there are, are sorry. some nice pieces about it. There are yeah. some nice parts about it. We'll talk about that, the little yeah. festival that happens and all that, the music, mm-hmm. food trucks and all that. We'll talk about that and plenty more. We'll catch up with baseball and softball insofar as Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez are willing to tolerate it at this point. And we mm-hmm. will talk about the UCF Hall of Fame um, inductions as well. Uh, we are Black and Gold Banneret, SB Nation's home for your UCF Knights. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and UCF underscore banner on Twitter. Follow us each at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, Brian, or excuse me, Spokes underscore Murphy and Jeremy Brenner, B-R-E-N-E-R on Twitter. Is that right, Jeremy? I got that right. Couldn't have said it any better, Jeff. That's what I thought. All right, let's let's dive in. So the big, well, I, I guess we can call it the big event um, from this past weekend, uh, spring football, as spring practice comes to a conclusion, um, Jeremy, you were there and, you know, uh, laugh all you want about, you know, how much of a, how much or how little of a deal we make, uh, about a spring football game. But, um, there were some questions I think that, that some fans wanted some answers to, uh, particularly with the, uh, quarterback situation. So you were at the game, you talked to everybody afterwards, uh, you wrote up a couple things on black and gold banner for us in particular, the three biggest takeaways. And one of them was, uh, your evaluation of the quarterback situation, and uh, let me be Mr. Sports Cliche Guy and ask you, did we get an answer? Do we know who the quarterback is right now? Yes, the quarterback is Dante Culpepper. Yeah. <laughs> That's a done. <laughs> All right, okay. moving on. No, is I mean, he it, in the Hall of Fame? Is he in the Hall of Fame? Yes, yes Dante, he's in the he's Hall of Fame. A, okay. Yeah, well, he was uh, he wasn't there, um, but there were a lot of other you know newly enshrined Hall of Famers there uh, with 
Marshall and uh, Kevin Smith and uh, George O'Leary. So um, that yeah, was. Hold a, on now. I, I was told they weren't there in the stadium. Uh, oh, well. Brandon was well, there. I know Brand, that. Brandon Marshall was definitely there. Um, okay. I, I definitely saw him in person. And if that's not Brandon Marshall, that is a really, really tall man who should no, be. Brandon was there. Brandon was there. George had to go back because he had to host the UCF women's golf team in the uh, for the American. Golf oh, really? Team. Yeah, Pri- right. Priorities. Uh, George O'Leary is suing the UCF spring game to host the UCF women's golf team. Well, they were. They and, were I, I th- and I think if Kevin Smith was there, the he would have been, he would've been fired. That, that's yeah. See, so uh, considering he's the running back coach at FAU and they had a spring game over there, and he's probably not allowed to watch UCF play in the spring game considering they're in the schedule. Yeah, I talked to Kevin. Yes. He was driving back for the FAU spring game. So you were left with uh, Brandon Marshall. Allison Kime and Alini Reyes were the ones that were, I believe, were in the stadium, actually. Yes, they were honored. That's a better word. They were honored at the beginning of the game, which I think was very cool because it kind of, you know, connects the UCF from the past to the UCF present. And a lot of recruits were there. A lot of future recruits were there. I stood uh, down on the sideline before kickoff and really recruits there and uh so it was like kind of linking you know past present and future which i thought was a really uh cool thing that happened so what did you see i want to go back to the quarterbacks for a second so uh, we saw a little bit of dj mac we saw a little bit of uh quadri jones who actually looked pretty good we saw a little bit of uh, brandon wimush in a ucf uniform for the first time and we saw a little bit of uh dylan gabriel so what were your impressions of the guys who took the snaps, um, and uh, it, I don't know. Tell tell us something that maybe we weren't quite expecting about how they performed and what you saw. What was your evaluation of the quarterback? Yeah, so well, it was very interesting because they kind of um, they they put all four quarterbacks out there in consecutive drives. So uh, DJ Mack got his his turn, then Brandon got his turn. Uh, then Dylan got his turn, and then Quadri, and it was it happened in a span of five game minutes, um, which was also like <laughs> maybe seven or eight real minutes in time. Um, it went by really quickly, and I think that was um, something that the team really wanted to pride on, and especially like get it started. And then after that, it was a rolling clock, and it seemed like the first five minutes of the game took the exact same amount of time as the last, you know, however long was left, um, which is kind of ironic and kind of funny, but. Um, something that they're preaching this year, um, is that they want to be faster than they were last year, which is kind of a lofty goal considering they were one of the fastest teams in college football last year. Um, but there's a good chance that they, they, they want to go faster this year and there's a good chance they might actually be able to achieve that. Um, largely in part to the fact that it's year two in the system and a lot of the skilled players, um, are very comfortable in the system. A lot of the offense offensive line very comfortable in the system um and you know but the one thing that's different about this team this year that will be the biggest difference between the 2018 nights and the 2019 nights is the quarterback and um i can tell you that the spring game was not a very good indication as to who has an edge over one or the other but i will say this and it's kind of funny that um i remember the last time i was on the podcast uh we were talking about, you know, who the quarterback is going to be next year. And I did say Dylan Gabriel. Um, and I'm going to be honest right now. I'm going to stick with that prediction. Hmm. I think Dylan I think Dylan Gabriel is going to start for this team. Maybe not week one, but I think that Dylan Gabriel will be the starter at the end of the day. Bentavious Thompson talked about it in, uh, in, in the press conference. You know, they were, they were like, 
Um, they did, they wanted to keep it hush hush about you know any quarterback. And to be honest, no quarterback really has um, like an edge or anybody. I wouldn't like. And you know, we still don't know if Dylan's going to get redshirted or not. We don't know if it's going to be Wimbush or Mac or even Quadri. But specifically, Bentavius called out Dylan Gabriel and commended him um, in front of media members. So um, that that to me stood out. Um, in that he's just a really sharp quarterback. I do think that Dylan Gabriel is the uh, most gifted quarterback on the roster, which is why I feel like he should start. Um, but as to who performed the best in the spring game, I'd probably say the most impressive uh, in the spring game was probably uh, Daryl Mack, only because he had a drive at the very beginning of the game. He had like two straight 30-plus yard completions to start the spring game and the second one led to a touchdown. Uh, that was probably the most impressive thing that I saw throughout the day. Brandon Wimbush, a little bit shaky here and there, but he probably had some of the best textbook throws. Dylan Gabriel probably had the most sheer talent, and Quadri Jones had the longest play of the day, a 75-yard or two. Uh, Rashawn Lewis, son of Ray Lewis. Um, so they all flashed a little bit of good, a little bit of bad as well. So they really, if, if they wanted to continue to put a lot of doubt on the quarterback situation, then UCF definitely did their job. What, what I think is, it feels like you could, I mean, everyone was talking about, you know, Dylan Gabriel and how good he is. It feels like if you, if you somehow put Daryl Mack and, um, and, uh, and Brandon Wimbush into, into a machine that somehow combined the two of them, that would be a really interesting situation too. But, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Benno Thompson who had a uh, hundred plus yards in the game, I think that he might be a key to replacing Taj McGowan next year. But uh, aside from the quarter uh, from the quarterbacks, and aside from Benno, who else you know kind of stood out uh, amongst the crowd in this uh, in this well glorified practice? Yeah, the the player that stood out the most was um, without a doubt Jacob Harris, uh, tight end slash receiver. Um, he's a guy that can uh, probably fill in the role. Jordan Aikens and Michael Kalubiali had in the last two years where he's that big featured a lot on uh, special teams uh, last season. And he was, uh, you know, he was seen as like this guy that could, you know, really make a difference. And uh, he was, he was seen as like the spark plug on, on special teams. He was oftentimes, you know, the first man down the field uh, when a punt was uh, taking place or a kickoff return. Um, Jacob Harris is one of those main guys. And, you know, he's, he's a big dude. He's maybe six five, uh, probably like two fifty. I don't, I, 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 I don't know. But he's definitely like a big dude. He's like a guy you don't want to really mess with him. Um, and I wouldn't mess with him. Uh, but he's very, <laughs> he's very interesting. If you like, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna write about this um, in hopefully the next week or so uh, on the Banneret. So he was brought on by Scott Frost as a walk on, um, but he originally was a soccer player. Um, and that was something that so he played soccer and he didn't start playing football until his senior year where he was a free safety. It, it's a very unique skill set. And that's what Heifel talks about. It's what Harris talked about. And it, it can create to a very interesting, you know, guy, you know, he had probably a chance at about four touchdowns. He had, he ultimately had two. So he's got a little bit of stuff to work on in terms of, you know, his hands, but Overall, he's a huge athlete. He's and that's honestly what UCF looks for in their skill players is just pure athleticism, and that's what Jacob Harris is. 
Yeah. I, I, now let me ask you real quick. I know you. I know you got to go because the Rockets are getting ready. Uh, getting ready to play their playoff game, and I know you're covering that for yeah. um, for Dream Shake. <laughs> but um, defense. Anybody who stood out on your end there? Because there's a lot of losses from last year. The person that stands out to me is probably Nate Evans. Uh, he's kind of stepping up as a vocal leader in the defensive room, uh, the the linebacker room, um, and. He had probably the most physical play of the game on um, on Otis Anderson uh, during during probably the second quarter, third quarter. But um, he's he's shown that he's uh, becoming a mentor to the young guys, and there's still a lot of guys that are going to come in uh, in May for the summer. A lot of you know underclassmen, a lot of freshmen, and it seems like Nate Evans is someone that is willing to take that vocal role that Patrzynski filled last year and then so but there's a lot of guys that are going to step you have Navelle Clark and Richie Grant stepping up but if I had to look at one person in particular probably Nate Evans because I feel like he is feeling like it's his responsibility to be a bigger voice on the team and he's going to show that not just vocally but on the field all right sounds good Jeremy Brenner thanks for the breakdown of the spring game uh, I know you got to get going, but we appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Of course, guys. Always my pleasure. All right. Uh, stick around. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to come back. And we'll do to talk a little bit more. We got baseball and softball coming up here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Stick around. We're back after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, welcome to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy back with you. Thanks again to Jeremy for joining us on uh, on the breakdown of the, the spring football game. Make sure you follow him at Jeremy Brenner on Twitter. He's got a couple pieces up on Black and Gold Bannerette for more on that. So, um, All right, so let's uh, make the transition. Now, we're full in on baseball and softball right now. And, um, of course, just in time for them to have a really, both of them really, a really, really tough um weekend so uh murph um and and eric we're gonna start by talking a little baseball they went up to cincinnati yep and oh yeah 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 uh this uh, this kind of felt I, I don't know i was i was following you all weekend murph and that seven six loss on sunday for ccf won 15 nothing they run ruled cincinnati on friday so you do not see often the friday run rule that is right. hard to do Yes, yeah. I, I, you know, because because, you know, the, the, the they no one's mailed it in at that point, you know, but they come back, they lose eight to three on Saturday and then they lose on a two run homer in the second game of the double header on Saturday. There was weather that was supposed to come. Right. So they 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 flipped it to a, a double header and the Knights get swept in the double header. Um yes. Off a walk-off homer on the on the on the Saturday, so a, a walk-off homer with a one-run lead, a two-run, two-out, two-strike walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth is how UCF loses yet another series. Ew, just Ooh. Uh, that. I mean, this one. 
I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you take the baton on this one, but this one felt like it really hurt. Yeah, and um, you know, you don't want to say it, it. You don't want to say it carried over into into what was a, a game on Tuesday against FAU, uh, who was a good team. FAU's, uh, you know, is in the top sixteen RPI. I mean, it's a decent team, and uh, UCF loses again on Tuesday, so now they've lost four or five. And after the game, speaking to Coach Lovelady, it just seemed like there was. Uh, I've never seen I've never seen him more quiet, more quick with his answers. If you've been around Coach Greg Lovelady, you know he's pretty uh, talkative, and even when things are going wrong, he's pretty lively. It just seemed like uh, there was no there there was really no life there, and I, I think the last two games really have really um, have just stunned this team. I, w- I will just say that, and to make matters worse. Uh, Lovelady said after the Tuesday game that starter Trevor Holloway is probably out for the season. Uh, he had missed mm-hmm. the last three weeks. He had missed the last three weeks with bicep tendonitis. Um, but now with him being out, he joins Ryan Saltstall. He joins Joe Sheridan, David Litchfield, Zach Helsel, who are all out for the year uh, on the on the pitching side. Oh, uh, Kyle, I mean Kyle Kemp, who is their closer and would have been on the mound for that Cincinnati ninth inning if he hadn't been hurt with a hamstring injury. At least he's expected back this weekend when they play Wichita State. But there's so many injuries right now. The offense isn't really clicking much. They have, you know, four guys in the offense that are pretty dependable with Ray Alejo, Tyler Osick, Dallas Beaver, Matthew Micah. And really none of those guys are really lighting the world on fire right now. The bottom of the order is always a grab bag if you don't know what you're going to get. And uh, and Sunday is just – well, really, every series finale has just been a complete roller coaster for them. The, 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 the two things they can hang their hat on are – are uh are Sherman uh Grant Sherman and Chris Williams their front two starters. Otherwise, this team is a mess. It's now four and eight in conference. They're halfway through conference play. They're coming off probably their worst conference loss that I've seen them experience since I've been covering them in the last couple of years. So uh now they go back on the road against a not very good Wichita State team, but you just don't know what you're gonna get with this UCF team. What has happened other than the injuries? I mean obviously that's that's it, but is that is that the only thing? It hurts. Uh, Coach Lovelady wants to build his team around the, the the bullpen. I mean, he wants to shorten games, and right now they don't really have the weapons to do that. Kemp being out, uh, obviously, has probably cost him at least one game. Certainly, that's the game probably cost them. Uh, Zach Helsel, who had Tommy John surgery back last month, he was going to be a pretty big part of their seventh, like a seventh inning, eighth inning bridge. And then you've got guys who just have been inconsistent. Uh, Garrett Westbrook has pitched very well. Jackson Clare. Hasn't pitched very well. Jalen Whitehead has been up and down. Uh, that bullpen's been not, just not been very good. And so they're forcing younger guys, guys like Zach Hunsaker. Zach Hunsaker is a freshman whom they probably wanted to redshirt this year. But with all the injuries and all the inconsistent play from other guys, he was forced. He's been forced into action and he's actually been pretty decent. But he's now he now was on the mound for that Cincinnati game with camp out and all the other injuries and kind of the other, you know, like lesser dependable options he was the guy they turned to to finish that game out on on saturday against cincinnati and he gave up the home run and this is a guy again who probably at the start of the year wasn't going to pitch this season um offensively it's it is basically a lineup that's cut into two which is the top four are pretty solid with alejo osik beaver and micah and then the bottom five through nine or you know maybe you can throw delton lingo in there sometimes but six or nine, especially, they just it just it, you just don't know what you're going to get, and mostly it's not much. 
Um, so yeah, and it's and then they can't they can't find a way to finish finish out a series. They're always good at winning on Friday or Saturday because their starting pitching is pretty solid with Sherman and Williams, but they have no way to wrap it up because they really don't have a Sunday starter. And when they go bullpen, bullpen by committee, that bullpen's just not good enough to give them you know six seven innings of, of decent baseball. So it's a mess. Um, and and you know they say they got a lot of games left, but again, we're already halfway through conference play. Uh, time is of the essence. They need to win a series that is so like a uh, basic level analysis, but like this team has to show they can really win a, a series. The, the one series they won, which is against USF, they came out of that feeling awful about themselves because they clinched the series on Sunday to finish up a finish up a suspended game the night before, but then they lose the Sunday game, regular, the regular scheduled Sunday game. They lose that game, so yeah, they win the series, but they lose they leave it on a loss, a loss that was really like mistake filled with a lot of errors and bad pitching. And it was just like, even the wins they get, even the series wins they get what they have won. It feels like a loss. And so uh, the the attitude around this team isn't great. And they want to keep preaching about being, staying positive and keep going forward. But um, this team has just run into a a bunch of uh, roadblocks and and just things that are out of their control. Wow. Uh, All right. So that's the good news. Um, but is there, I, I mean, I'm looking at the RPI. They dropped, I think, was it 12 spots in the RPI? They went from 58th to 70, um, oh, yeah. over the weekend. They're 22. What's a miracle. What's a miracle is that baseball America still has them as one of the next four out. Now they're not the first four out. In fact, according to baseball America and their Wednesday latest projections, they have Florida Atlantic moving up to the first team out. As a result of the win against UCF, which Murph saw, UCF is still one of the next four outs. So what well, tells you what that tells you is this is a weak year in the bubble. Uh, yeah. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of good stuff in that bubble. So if somehow this team were to able to get on a roll, they could sneak into the tournament. But I gotta be honest, I'm I mean every word that Brian Murphy has said about this baseball team since February has kind of been true, and this team. I, I don't see this turning around. They don't have the bodies to turn it around, right, Murph? And it, at the end of the day, that's the pro- you just don't have what it takes to turn this around, I don't think. There, has, there hasn't been any proof of that, right? They don't. If they get Kemp back, that'll stabilize the bull- back end of the bullpen a little bit. But they, they're short on starters. They're short on bridge relievers. They're, they're really short on offense. It's really half of an offense at this point. They just don't have the production one through nine, and then their pitching staff to really mount any serious run. They can win a series here or there, but um, this is not. A, this is a pretty mediocre team. This is a very mediocre team because of everything they've got. And I will say, Jeffrey, that RPI drop happened last night, or excuse me, Tuesday night. That was only their drop from Tuesday. They were 58 going into that game against FAU. They dropped from 58 to 70 after losing the FAU. They dropped, they dropped from 33 to 58 after Cincinnati series loss. Wait, so, so you're saying that in the span of two nights they dropped from thirty third in the span yeah, in the span of in, in the dropped, span of four in the span of four games, they dropped thirty seven points in the RPI. Whew. Man, that's well I, I guess well no wonder Love uh, Coach Lovelady was was so I guess for him despondent after that. Like is there I don't want to end this on such a sour note, um, you know, I, I you know, from my buddy Sam, but like geez. Yeah. Um, is there <laughs> any light at the end of the tunnel here? Wichita State's not very good. Uh, so the Shockers 
are coming in on a six game losing streak. Uh, this, although that losing streak was preceded by a winning streak in which they won 11 of 12. So try to figure them out if you can, uh, Wichita state's pretty good offensively. They have a couple guys, uh, with an, with an OPS over a thousand. There's no one on UCF that has an OPS over a thousand and they have, and Wichita state has two. However, Wichita state's pitching staff is probably one of the worst, if not the worst in the American, uh, they have one starter. With more than one start this year, if any start with more than one start this year, they have one guy with an ERA with less than that's less than five. So the pitching's pretty bad. It could be a slugfest if guys like uh, Alejo and, and Osik and, and Beaver get going, uh, and if UCF can get some production from the bottom of the order. Um, you know what's really important for this team right now is that they can't afford to lose any games that Grant Sherman and Chris Williams start especially Sherman, because he's been absolutely lights out. That is the one really bright spot about this team right now. Grant Sherman, they're, they're, they're well, for this week, but Thursday night starter, but really he's their ace. He has been fantastic the last for the past month, uh, and Chris Williams has been pretty good up and down, but, but you know, decent enough. They can't afford to lose the games they start because they're going to probably lose most of the series finale games because they just have no answers um, for those series finale games. Well, hey, 22 and 15, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a grind. But, um, but I mean, the good news is, you know, I, I hate putting it this way, but it's true. They're, they're not in last in the conference. And right. that means that they, um, if you're in last place in the league, you don't get an invite to the conference tournament. The, only the top eight out of nine go. Right now, that's South Florida. They're two and 10. And, at least the Knights are two games ahead of that at four and eight in the conference. And there's still, there's still room to sort of build that, you know, put a little breathing room between you and them, but um, and, and it is going to be a grind. The series this weekend is against the teams that are in the seventh and eighth place positions. So That's true. If, if you're looking at that, at least you need to win this series so that you further distance yourself from the stellar and you actually, you actually able at least get a, a, a spot in the conference in the conference yeah. tournament. In May, and that that is that is like something that you can really pull out of a series win. Now, I'm not familiar with Tulane's um, uh, non-conference schedule, but if the if the conference tournament started now, uh, UCF would be in a group with uh, Tulane, who's 25 and 12. UCF's 22 and 15. Uh, UConn, who's 24 and 13. We already know how that went. Uh, and um, and Memphis, uh, who's seventeen and seventeen and four and five in the league. So um, at the very least, it feels like they could, you know, if again, if the conference tournament started, we still got a lot of baseball to go. But they could they could at least come out of that um, in fairly good shape. But again, like you were saying, I mean, with whoever's left pitching, you know, that's still a question left to be can um, you imagine if this team if this team loses either grant sherman or chris williams i i I mean mean, they're gonna have to start using position players to pitch well murph murph let me ask you how do you compare this baseball team with the injuries they've dealt with compared to the basketball team the second year of coach Dawkins, where they had Mm. injuries it was a galore i mean it seems like it's a very parallel and i know fans don't want to hear that they think it's an excuse but you know you you this was already a year where you had to replace certain pieces to begin with from last year's team. And then when you lose the personnel that this team has lost, it's just, it just seems it's just one of those years that you just throw your hands up, isn't it? 
Yeah, it really is. I mean, I will say, you know, basketball two years ago suffered more significant losses sure. in terms of injuries because of the players they lost. UCF, you're not losing. And the baseball side, they haven't lost Tyler Osick and Grant Sherman and Matthew Micah, the guys who are really important to the team. They have lost integral, uh, uh, you know, you know, guys off the bench and guys in the guys in the bullpen bridge area, seventh, eighth, seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth innings that they could really help, you know, shorten games. Uh, those guys, those guys don't get a lot of stats that you look at, but they're important pieces to winning games. Those are the guys that they've lost. And I'll also say this too, guys who are healthy uh, to go about the trust that Lovelady has in the guys who are remaining there. You've got Kemp. He's very good. He's got a 1.33 ERA. He's striking out a ton. Uh, he'll be back this weekend, so that's really good. But Jackson Clare and Jalen Whitehead came in last night in the sixth inning after Jordan Spicer, who had, who has been dreadfully inconsistent for basically his entire UCF career, but certainly this season as well. He pitched five really solid innings. UCF or Love Lady called upon Jalen Whitehead and Jackson Clare. They each faced two batters. They threw a total of twelve pitches. There was. Uh, a walk, there was a home run, there was a sing, there was a triple, I believe. It was a mess. None of them got none of them got an out. And after the game, Lovely was talking about the game and love talking about that fourth that four run sixth inning that F, that FAU put together that really decided the game. And he put the blame on himself, but he said it so and by saying, I put some guys there who should not have been pitching in that game. Meaning he doesn't trust those guys. Even the guys who were healthy there's a lack of trust there. So even there's like, there's just so few options in that bullpen. And again, this is how this team has won games. This is how this team won game two years ago with guys like JJ Montgomery and Bryce Tucker and Jason Barr. Um, You know, and so now they have really a shell of that and their offense, you know, was not, it was never expected to be world beaters and now they have to pick up the slack. And I just don't think they have the horses outside the top four to really pick up the pitching because their offense was never made to score six, seven runs a game. They were a pitching first team, and this pitching staff has been absolutely obliterated. Yeah. Well, and, and look, I mean, Chris Chris Williams missed the first nine games to mm-hmm. the whole NCAA thing, and I know that's not an injury, Merck, but that affects a pitcher's routine and rhythm and getting into the season. You're joining the season in progress. Uh, you mentioned the Holloway injury. I mean, it's just... It just seems like it's one thing after another. It's like, what's next type of thing. It, it is. And, and Chris and Chris Williams actually was demoted uh, in, in a few weeks ago because he just wasn't pitching very well. He got moved back from the Friday start to the Saturday start because, frankly, he wasn't doing very well. Now, uh, he wasn't great against Cincinnati on Saturday, the first game of the doubleheader, but he has been very good in the last three or four outings. Sherman has been uh, like pristine good. So those have been the two guys you really count on. And otherwise, it has just been a slog. The offense has really slowed down. Ray Alejo is is in a you know has been has been hitting around 200 the last 11 12 games. These guys are hitting the ball hard sometimes, but they're just going they're they're just going right to fielders. Uh, it's just been it's been rough. And you know there was some optimism coming out of that F, that that, US, that USF series a couple of weeks ago. They had won four or five. They had seemed like they had finally turned something around. They had they had gone on the road to beat Jacksonville. They had won their first conference series. And now all of that is lost. And plus you're adding Holloway to the, to the medic list. It, it just feels like this team is, um, is searching for something right now. And, and if you could, you could possibly see a very ugly weekend at Wichita state, especially for a, for a 1030 local time Saturday finale game. Oh my God. <laughs> what is it with Wichita state and these bizarre start times? Uh, <laughs> Thursday, yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, seven, seven, 
7 p.m., 7 p.m., and 11.30 a.m. Uh, in uh, at Wichita. That's 10th, or excuse me, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, and that's 10.30, you said 10.30 a.m. local in Wichita? That's Is that right? That's 10.30 local, Jeffrey. Do you like, do you like baseball with your mimosas? Goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it's a stupid question. But, along with my uh, Bailey, Bailey's <laughs> Bailey's coffee, why not? Yeah, let's do it. Um, let's do it all right, so, and then, well, you know, they got Bethune-Cookman coming in on Tuesday at 3. A Tuesday game at 3, which is also just sweet. You're going to that, Burf? Nice well, lunch, yeah, lunch. Maybe, yeah. I might be going to lunch and then some baseball. I mean, I like day baseball. Uh, I, uh, I got to figure that out because they advertised that game last night at 6 o'clock. So I'm not sure if that's a schedule snafu or if – so there's a disconnect somewhere. I mean, again, even even the promotions department, we're not even sure what's going on. <laughs> they got everything's a mess. Wow. Well, man, I, I, man, oh, man. I will say this: um, I think the three o'clock might be accurate because I think, and Jeff knows about this having worked there. I believe that is the night that UCF's having their uh, Swords Awards. You know what I'm talking about? You know the uh, the student athlete awards thing with the swords. Oh, you know, I, I think- don't know that for sure. No, no, I know. That's what I'm telling oh, you. Oh, you know. Okay. Yeah, well, leave that. Quite, yeah, that. quite possibly. That might be. That so I very think well they might have moved that up to a day game because they don't want to conflict with the awards. Uh, but I'm just speculating here. For all I know, maybe that is a misper. Who knows? It's a, it's an odd start time, nonetheless. So, um, you know, we'll we'll find out eventually. Yeah. Uh, well. Um. Uh, yeah. If, it's going to be if, if UCF baseball SID Ian McDougal is listening to this. Yes, I know what the schedule says. But it was advertised at 6 o'clock p.m. on the video board last night. I'm just saying someone help a brother out. That's all I want to know. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just going to be you're just going to be stuck there the whole day. And I'll be there. Uh, I'll be there. I'll, 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 I'll know. Like the game will start at six, but I won't find that out. So I'll get there at like two. I have to kill four hours. Can't wait. <laughs> They do have this thing called Twitter. They might tweet out what time the game is on that day. Heaven, heaven forfend. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> you know, is there a baseball game? Anyone want to come out to play now? <laughs> I could see Murph there. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got that to wrap up. And then, uh, but yeah, I wanted to uh, talk with uh, Elo about softball here because, well, I don't know, man. It, it, it doesn't feel quite as desperate as baseball, but uh, they're in a slide right now. They're able to see one, two, three, four, five in a row, including getting yeah. swept in Tampa by by Not South Tampa. Florida. It was here. It was here. It was oh, here. I, oh, it was okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, but it okay. It was here, which makes it even which makes it even worse. I mean, South Florida's good. They're ten and two in the league, thirty two and fifteen, but. Um, you know, th- this was kind of a show me series, man. And South Florida, um, they took care. They took care of business here on the road. So UCF is now tied for third in the American at seven and five, with Wichita twenty eight and fourteen overall. You were doing those games, Eric. What happened? Well, I know this is very complicated analysis that you only get here on Black and Gold Banneret, but <laughs> I think Murph can back me on this. If you don't score, you're not going to win. Literally. Thank you for that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, UCF scored one run in 27 innings that weekend. They played a 13-inning marathon on Friday night, which was a classic. It was Georgina Cork, Aaliyah White pitched two two of the best pitchers in the conference in the country, uh, went toe-to-toe. 
went lengthy to the point where I was at the Hall of Fame ceremony. And when that ended, I got back to the complex and it was still in the 10th inning. That's how uh, lengthy it was going. But, you know, USF got a two-run homer in the 13th inning. And they just, you know, UCF's offense just struggled all weekend against the USF pitching. One run in 27 innings. If you go back to the Sunday game against Wichita State the week before, it's they have not they had one run in the last 33 innings. Uh, so they've hit a bad time to hit a slump offensively. Um, and part of it is not hitting with runners in scoring position. Uh, they had bases loaded and nobody out in the first inning in Sunday's game against USF and didn't and struck out. Uh, they tried to squeeze play, and uh, which forced the force out at home plate. And then I believe they struck out at the end of the inning or popped up. I don't remember. I kind of drew a blank at that point. But the point is they didn't score. Uh, and that's the problem. They've had chances. They haven't delivered the, big, the hit. And they struggled against a very good USF pitching team. We said last week runs would be at a premium, and it was. It wasn't like, you know, UCF's pitching, it's the complete opposite of what Murph's seen over there in baseball. The pitching's been fine. Uh, they're still among the nation's best in ERA and things like that. But they are struggling offensively. And it's not going to get easier because now they got to go to Tulsa this weekend, who's also got good pitching. So they got to figure some things out, how to create some runs. Uh, for their pitching staff, uh, but that's really the, the end of the story. If you don't score, you're not going to win, and that's what happened with UCF. Did you feel that they just came face-to-face with reality here? Because, um, I mean, we know South Florida is a good team, but, you know, they UCF still in the middle of this, you know, coaching transition. Let's give them credit. They're still 47th in the RPI, but, um, I, I mean, if these two match up in the conference championship, in the conference tournament, I should say, at some point, um is it one of those things where it's like, look, if UCF is able to take this, it's going to be an upset? Or do you feel like it, it, these were just three coin flip games, at least at this point, and it was just uh, it, it was just not being timely with the bats? Yeah, I don't think it was like USF was that superior. I, I don't think this was a, a They're situation. 24th in the RPI, by the way. I yeah, I mean, like, again, if UCF gets some timely hitting, they, you sort of easily won the Friday game. And I believe if they win the Friday game, it's a completely different series. But once they lost that game in 13 innings and they didn't they didn't get any runs early in the Saturday game, I think what happens is players tend to press. And I think you saw some of that with some of their hitters were pressing, trying to find that hit, trying to, you know, maybe overthinking it. And, uh, you know, it's tough. I mean, USF has great pitching. I mean, they've always played low-scoring games. Uh, but I don't think it was a situation where, hey, that team was far superior. Not at all. It's just, unfortunately – they have hit a slump here hitting-wise. They've hit the wall, if you will, struggles in their bats. Um, and, you know, they got to figure out a way to score some runs. I, You know, I, this is the part of the schedule where we kind of knew what, what was coming here. You had USF at Tulsa and who hosts Houston. There's two midweeks in between that with FIU and Bethune next weekend. But nine of those games are all against top 50 teams in the RPI. And if you want to be an NCAA tournament team, you got to win some of those games. I felt they needed to go five and four, something to that extent. Because uh, you look at UCF's resume, yeah, they have a 47 RPI. They're in the bubble right now, but they have one win right now against the top 50 in the RPI, and that was Ohio State in February. And that's the disappointing thing about the USF game. You know, and I've always said this in softball more so than in baseball, avoid getting swept, sweep, swept. Because if you take a game from USF this weekend, while that's not great, at least you get a quality win out of that, and it does help your resume. Yeah. Got and swept. you only lose the one game, too, instead Correct. of losing Correct. three games right. in the right. standings. right? Correct. And so, but now they have another opportunity. Tulsa's in the 20s, I believe, uh, RPI-wise. I think they're 23 or something like that. Um, so this is an opportunity on the road. You can win this series. That's huge for your resume. 
I think the conference championships out the window now. They're basically uh, three back of USF in the loss column, plus they lose the tiebreaker. I, that's going to be hard to catch up in nine games, but in the conference play. But if they can get some wins here against Tulsa and Houston, they can play themselves back into the NCAA tournament. If they don't, if they continue to struggle, then they're going to be basically win conference tournament mode to get to the tournament or else. And, um, you know, it's disappointing because you've really – you've had tremendous pitching this year from Aaliyah White, uh, who, who's on the top of most of the categories, the nation and wins. Uh, ERA, they're, they're one of the top teams ERA-wise. So you would hate to waste that and not make the tournament, but they got to find some consistent offense and some of the hitters have to start hitting if they want to get to the NCAA tournament, if they want to make some noise in the conference tournament in Houston. And that's, and that's, that's got to start this weekend against Tulsa. I cannot be, it's very imperative. They get going here soon. Otherwise the season could get away from them. And what doesn't make it any easier, you know, you mentioned the conference tournament, you know, at least with UCF baseball, they get into the tournament, they get double elimination to sort of, you kind of get a, a mulligan at some point if you slip up, but the softball tournament, and you and I have debated this before, single elimination. So if you end up having to get into that situation like you were talking about, Elo, where you have to win the conference tournament, boy, that can get – that's uh, – you know, you never say never, but the likelihood of that is it really – the percentage chances really start to drop at that point. Is that right? Yeah, and then what's frustrating – again, I mean, UCF ranks 10th in the country. 10th in the country. I could just hear Murph right now just salivating. 10th <laughs> in the country in ERA. 10th. Uh, it's the best they've had from a statistical standpoint since 2015 when they were number one in the country when they had two All-Americans in Audis and Turnier, and they obviously won 50 games, so it's a completely different team. But the point is, boy, to have the 10th best ERA in the country and a pitcher that's among the nation's leaders in wins and innings and and, and Boy, you just you would like to cash in usually because you have a chance to win every game. When with Aaliyah in the circle, you have a chance to win. But if you don't, again, I know I'm not being condescending here at all. I'm not trying. Usually, I am. I'm very sarcastic a lot of times on this program. But this is not one of them. I <laughs> and swear. on Twitter too, I should add. But anyway, correct. But <laughs> but I'm not. If you don't score runs, if you don't score more than one run in 27 innings a series, you're not going to win, and that's the problem. Yeah. Man, it's 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 tough. It, it, it that's Murph, maybe that's, uh, Murph, that's, maybe yeah, when, now's the time. Maybe maybe Murph, you and Love Lady, and maybe uh, Coach Ball. Maybe we can make a trade. You guys give us a bat. We give you an arm. Maybe that'd be great. I, I will say, I you know you see that that tenth in ERA sounds like UCF baseball last year when they were. I think they were among the top ten in ERA. Yeah. See, I don't have to I, I don't have to worry about that problem now because UCF is only in the top twenty five in one stat in the nation. I swear to God, this is true. They're in the top twenty-five in one stat in the entire nation, and it's sacrifice bunts. <laughs> really? Wow! Really? Now, now they are the, now. Is now there one they stat are, where you just don't? Is that the one stat in baseball that you just you look at and you're like, <laughs> man, I really don't want in this day and age. You know, I really don't want that one. Please, no. <laughs> I mean, I, the, the team bunts. Like, look, if, if they're if any if any of them are listening to this, I will say every time they bunt, it makes my skin crawl. I really just like it really does. It takes the life out of me. I will say they're also ranked. They're also among the top 20 in shutouts, but you're like tied with like 30 other teams at, at like two. So that doesn't really count. That shouldn't count. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's not been a good year. Anyway, 
to go to, to like that's like my point being is that you know softball is missing is wasting an opportunity with the pitching staff they have baseball uh it doesn't really have like that waste opportunity because the entire team from front to back has been pretty mediocre yeah yeah well <laughs> so who should be who should feel worse then murph is it baseball should feel worse should i feel worse you know what, you know what, eric here's what i'm thinking with with softball struggling baseball you know struggling we've talked about basketball men's basketball's future uh which yeah. looks rough we talked about women's basketball future where there was a lot of players next year i swear yeah. to god the most impactful thing on the show might have actually been spring football talk which is nuts. <laughs> Hello, we got two tennis teams on the verge of making the oh tournament. Oh my god. Oh, no, 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 no. We, Here we, we go. Will, well, a segue. We will segue. talk about that and we will uh, talk a little bit about golf and we will talk about the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame inductions which just took place uh in just a little bit. Stick around the Black and Gold Banner at podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the show. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. UCF underscore Banneret is our Twitter handle. That's where you can follow us to get all the latest uh, from UCF sports, including, gentlemen, it's the club, uh, not the club sports, but the country club sports championship weeks uh, here in um, the American. And it started with uh, UCF women's golf. They were in the American Athletic Conference women's championship up at Hammock Beach in Palm Coast. Um, they finished in second place. Houston, who is ranked number 34 in the country, um, it, it, it ran away and hid. They were uh, they were minus 13 as a team. UCF finished in second, but they were 30 strokes back. That's nothing against UCF. That just shows you how good of a week Houston had. Uh, so they get the automatic bid to the NCAAs. And we got to wait to see um, where uh, UCF women's golf goes now. Uh, for the uh, for the NCAA, assuming that they get uh, an invite to begin with. Um, now, the men's golf championship, I did want to get get everyone a heads up on that. That's in Palm Harbor. It's going to be at Innisbrook, and it's going to be this coming Sunday through Tuesday, April 21st through the 23rd. And we'll be keeping an uh, eye out on that one on the leaderboard for you on our Twitter account at UCF underscore um banneret but congrats to uh, head coach emily Marin of ucf women's golf leading them to a um second place finish in the conference and also the individual players elizabeth moon who is ranked 81st in the country she finished in second two strokes back of the individual medalist winner that was leonie harm also of houston uh she's ranked 10th in the country by the way she finished at minus eight uh, over the three round um tournament so congratulations to uh liz also maria balcazar Finished in the top 12. She finished tied for 12th at five over. Um, so that's, uh, so, hey, second place for uh, the team event. Second place for the individual event. Uh, not that bad. And we got men's golf championship coming up. All right, tennis. It's championship week for tennis, Eric Lopez. And the uh, women's tournament got underway uh, today, in fact. Now, UCF had the bye to Thursday. So they will play Thursday uh, at noon in the quarterfinals against Memphis, who beat two, who beat uh, Temple in the 8-9 matchup, uh, 4 to nothing. Uh, UCF at noon. By the way, the tennis championships are here in Orlando at the USTA National Campus down by Lake Nona. And they will take place at, well, not the exact same time, but coinciding with the men's tennis championship, which, starts to, which actually starts tomorrow with the first round. Um, 
with uh, two matches, UConn versus Temple, SMU versus CCU. Uh, UCF is the one seed coming in, and they will play the winner of SMU and ECU on Friday. So uh, how about UCF tennis here, Eric Lopez? They are uh, the one seed uh, in both the men's and the women's. Let me ask you this. Which team do you think has the better shot to win the uh, – uh, which team has the better shot to win the conference overall? They're both one seeds. Who would you be surprised by the most if they if they if they uh, if they flame out? I would gotta go with the women's as the more uh, right because the men's has USF, which is always a powerhouse in men's tennis, yeah. uh, things like that. Whereas the women's been kind of rock solid all year round. The men's kind of been streaking down the stretch. By the way, we are on the verge of history here because both the men's and the women are pretty much going to be in the NCAA tournament uh, for the together in the same year, which I don't think has ever happened before. I'm not going to say for sure, because I don't, I just know that women's didn't have made it la- uh, until 2002 up until last year. And it's, and you know this Jeff, cause you covered tennis for a while. It's not like the two tennis programs were powerhouses, but um, both sides are in great shape. I'm, there's a site called college tennis ranks.com. I know Murph's bookmarking it as we speak because uh, they yeah. they haven't they have ncaa projections folks yeah nothing like I got NCAA. it you got it I yeah i got it. it up all right and men's so, tennis and women's tennis are both going to be in yeah uh, i'm looking at the i'm looking at the women's it, it's 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 like a database it takes a second to populate here um yep. fancy yeah they are projecting uh let's see uh ucf uh, they're looking at uh, cur- you know projected rank 25th, so they're expecting them to get uh, uh, so 25th in the country. Um, yeah, I mean uh, yeah, they're, they're it's looking pretty good for and that's both. That's good because, like right. for example, the Cutlin they have a projections where they do a cut line, uh, mm-hmm. where they do a cut line on who's going to be left out, and usually and you know they follow it based on ranking, so it's pretty accurate. It's like 99.9 percent accurate. So, like, the cut line, for example, on the women's side is, like, 42 RPI ranking, basically, or 42 ranking. And you just mentioned where the women's are at, at 25. And then the men's projections for the NCAA tournament bubble, uh, as I look at this. I mean, this is just – and they and they take into – 27th, right. Or they're currently 28th. They're projected to be 27th. And the bubble is, like, 42. Like, LSU right now is the last team projected to be in in men's tennis at 42, for example. So, the point is – both the men and the women are going to be in the tournament. That is a remarkable achievement and story that I get, it's the most underplayed uh, UCF story. And I get it. Everybody's like, well, who cares about tennis? You know, we but this should was a start huge... caring about tennis as a fan base. Because... Well, I mean, this was a huge project. And, and this is the most impressive thing that Danny White has done in his career at UCF. I know, you know, he gets a lot of the hoopla with the football hires. And I get the importance and all that. But he turned a tennis, two tennis programs. First of all. Uh, that I don't know, Jeff. You describe it. You cover it because I want to be respectful to the previous coaches, and, and it wasn't their fault. It was just let's let's say they were they were under invested. <laughs> they were practicing. The, they were playing at rec centers, right? Yeah, the, at a rec. The, the the programs were were not invested in very much by the university. I will say right. that. And they have moved to where they're playing at this beautiful not facility. Not the fault of the coaches, right? And they're playing in this new facility in Lake Nona. At the college USTA Center, which is like a mecca now for tennis. Uh, it's created so many great matches in tennis and college tennis. 
there's going to be even a world, professional world team tennis teams are going to be playing there now as well. There's actually an Orlando franchise there if you want to if you want to get your tickets there, the Orlando Storm, I think it's called or whatever, uh, for the world team tennis. But the point is, you got UCF men's and women's tennis there playing at home, and they're both going to make the tournament. They're both going to be perennial NCAA tournament teams in a facility that's going to host the conference championships this weekend again for the second time I think in three years, and it's a home that's going to be home to the NCAA championships here in a couple of years as well. And Danny White kind of saw the vision in this. We were, I'll never forget when I was shocked when he hired John Roddick out of Oklahoma. It's incredible. Uh, people were stunned. It shocked the entire tennis landscape. And he made him the, the director of tennis and then give John Roddick credit because he hired Brian Koneko, the women's tennis coach. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. So this is going to be fun to watch. Uh, the next couple. Are we going weeks out there this teams. weekend? Are we going out I, there? You know, I I would like. I to. feel like we I feel like we talk about this every week on the podcast. When we are we do. going to go I out there? I have listen. I have a date. Listen, the the drive shack is out there, right on Friday. Yes. Let's go on Friday, and then we'll hang out at the drive shack, and we'll have a good time. I can't go. Why not? I because I have a play to go to. I have a magic. I have a magic uh, playoff game to cover. See, By the way, Jeff, you if you look see at the what radar, happens, people. Do hold you on, hold see on. What happens? Hold on, Jeffrey. <laughs> we're doing you a favor because I'm shocked that you didn't know this as a as a weather guy yourself. Here, uh, the weather is not looking good Friday. Let's just say that. You know, it's bad when the Orlando Magic send you an email and say, "Hey, might be a good idea to come out early here since the weather is <laughs> not going to be very good." What are they? What are they saying? It's going to be like a hundred percent chance of rain with like winds of twenty miles an hour. So it's going to be it's possible severe weather. Oh, fantastic. All right, that's exactly we may not. I have a feeling that the tennis schedule might get pushed back into Saturday, Sunday finish. You might be right. Well, we might have, uh, we might have two championships decided uh, on Sunday. How fun would that be? Yeah, that'd be good. That would be a lot of fun. It's, it's, been, it's been fun seeing UCF get some um, play on the national airwaves on the tennis channel, both the men's and the women's teams this year. Um, with the, uh, by the way, you can follow the, uh, tennis championships live on, uh, the American.org. They will be, uh, broadcasting those tennis, those, te those tennis matches from the, uh, USTA national, uh, camp, uh, from the USTA national campus on the American digital network. Plus the, um, uh, men's final will be Sunday is scheduled for Sunday at noon. The women's final is scheduled for uh, is scheduled for Saturday at three. But like you were saying, Eric, they've got those two semifinals scheduled for Friday at three p.m. Uh, I'm looking at the forecast, and they might not get that in. Uh, Fifty percent chance of showers at that point. So, uh, yeah, I, I would not be surprised one bit if they either move those up into the morning uh, right. and try and get them done early uh, so that they can keep to the schedule or do they just push everything back a day? I know they really don't want to do that because of the because of the travel expenses and all. But um, I don't know. It's going to be a tough call for the American to make. But uh, either way, plenty of tennis to be had down at the USTA Complex. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Now, uh, last and uh, last but far from least, probably our favorite event of the year: uh, the UCF Athletics. Hall of Fame inductions. It's been four years since they since we've done this. I was at the last one along with you, Eric. I couldn't make it this time. You were there. Um, congrats once again to the uh, six inductees: Drew Butera, whose uh, whose father Sal was there to induct him because Drew um, 
obviously is working uh, in Major League Baseball uh, as a catcher uh, in, uh, or actually, I think he's still at Albuquerque. Is that right, Brian? He just got called, called up. up, Jeff. Yeah, he got Jeffrey. called up. Oh, That's okay, right, good. brother. It's a big All leaguer. Right. I didn't see Offici- that. But... Drew Butera is officially a 10-year major leaguer. That he's, a, he's, a, he's a 10-year guy, but he's not a five, he's not a 10-5 guy, unfortunately. No, I don't think so, no, but, because he's not with one team. But he's he has now been a part of a major league team for, for 10 seasons. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, uh, our good friend Allison Trella, the former Allison Kime, uh, also another good friend of ours from uh, from long time when I actually when I was doing video work at UCF, uh, Alini Reyes uh, was inducted as well, and then three names in football, uh, obviously Brandon Marshall, Kevin Smith, and George O'Leary. Uh, you know, we talked to Ali, we talked to um, uh, Kevin, we talked to uh, Aline. Uh, and we got some, and actually, Eric, you were uh, fortunate enough uh, as you were there to uh, get some sound from uh, from each of those guys. But first, just tell us about the uh, the ceremony itself, because I was at the 2015 one. Um, it was it was a lot of fun to see. It, it was a lot of it was really great to see everybody there, everybody who was there at once celebrating these new inductees. How was this one different, and what was it like for those of us who didn't see many of the highlights? It was definitely bigger than 2015. It was in the Doubletree Hotel in the ballroom there. Much more space than the, the Alumni Center where you and I were at right. four years ago. So, like, I was able to get a seat, um, and it was comfortable because there was a lot of people there. And it was really a blast because it's probably the only event that I can think of where you could have the past and the present of UCF and even to some extent the future all there in one place. I mean – here I am, and I'm watching, you know, because they, the way they do it, they, they, you know, they have all the, the Hall of Famers there. There's past Hall of Famers that make the trip. Then you got current people at UCF. Like, for example, uh, you know, you have Josh Heupel there talking to George O'Leary, for example. You have Mackenzie Amanda Cromwell. Was there. Yeah, Mackenzie Milton was there. Uh, there was Amanda Cromwell made the trip because of Alini Reyes. So you had her there, but you also had Tiffany Roberts Sahadak uh, there. Um, you had Todd Dagenet there. It was just a cool thing to see the present of UCF and the past of UCF kind of mingle uh, a little bit and really being honored. And I got to give credit to John Kavatic and, so, and a lot of people behind the scenes on that. I could tell you in talking to all of the inductees, they were very happy, felt very welcome uh, and very appreciative of everything there, uh, what they've done there. And it was a cool event. Mark Daniels emceed it. Uh, they did the video packages there. They didn't do uh, an introduction speaker. You know how Jeff last year, uh, four years ago, they would have people like yeah. Tipner would induct him. They they kind of skipped that. They just kind of had Mark introduce each person, uh, probably for timing purposes or whatever. No, probably because uh, O'Leary was, uh, you know, there everyone was running on O'Leary time, get in and get out, right? Well, well, except for O'Leary. <laughs> I mean, everybody was on a quote five minute, le- uh, you know, time limit, except George went eighteen minutes. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. But it was cool though. I mean, Sal Butera, as you mentioned, was the first speaker on behalf of Drew. Uh, that he got emotional about that. And for people that don't know, Sal is obviously longtime history of baseball. Uh, so he was there representing Drew. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and then Allison spoke. She got emotional there. Uh, she was there with her family. Stephanie Best was there uh, as well to see her get inducted. Uh, and then Brandon Marshall spoke. And, and the cool thing about Brandon. 
This is a guy that is very well, probably one of the most, would you guys say is one of the most recognizable UCF uh, alums as far as athletes are concerned, as far as people know who Brandon Marshall is. Would you agree with that? Pretty, I mean, he's a pretty big time guy now. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly. Yeah. He he's got he's got the uh, championship belt, shall we say, among UCF football and, alumni. And the cool thing about it, though, he walks in, and he still re- talks. He knows everybody. Like he walks into this meet. We had a media availability right before the ceremony, and he walks in. He notices our friend Brandon Helwig from UCFSports.com gives him a hug, and asks him how you're doing. You're still doing this deal. You know, because they go way back to when, you know, Brandon was being recruited. Right. And here's Brandon Marshall, an NFL star. I mean, I mean, I don't know the last time he saw Brandon, but he remembered a Brandon Helway who covered him back when he was being recruited. And, and you know, Brandon was still talking to his advisor and, and Manny. And then that's the cool thing about with Brandon that I thought was awesome was you just didn't you, – you would not have known that this was a superstar NFL player that's been a pro bowler that you can maybe make a case that is going to go into the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was still had the passion and, uh, you know, he still follows the program. And that was cool. And then, you know, Kevin Smith, uh, Lini Reyes spoke after that and she was fantastic uh, with her history there, of course, playing on the Brazilian national team. Interestingly enough, uh, one thing we learned is she actually travels her dog everywhere she goes. So, yeah. <laughs> so the, the dog, dog was, was there. there. Yeah. Um, so she was she was a blast. And then Kevin Smith, who I thought was the best speaker of the night was phenomenal. Uh, the one line I'll never forget. And by the way, all these inter, uh, things uh, UCF has made available on YouTube, so you can actually watch the speeches, which I think is cool. He made this great line, uh, and I'm paraphrasing it, but basically, I hope I'm invited back when my f- other future Knights brothers get inducted like the, sh- the, Griffin, the Griffins and the Miltons. Yeah, and that, if that doesn't give you some chills, I don't know what does. Um, that was awesome, and, and the guy is fantastic. Um, and then obviously George wrapped things up with being George, being George, you know, talking for about 18 minutes, unscripted, poking, poking a little fun at people like, you know, cause Brandon Marshall mentioned on his speech about how they, his roommates and his former players. And there was a female roommate. And so when George came up, he's like, well, I didn't know about a female roommate. I would have known. I took the lesson there. You know, so he, he, he teased him a little bit. Oh, he told Danny White, like, Danny, I know he got financial issues, but. You know, these plaques could be bigger, you know, so George was typical George, but uh, but he was appreciative of as well. And that was the cool thing about the whole night was that everybody uh, we just got to hear some of the bats of all time. And you then you see these coaches there like Josh Heupel talking to George and things like that. Uh, it was a cool night. Uh, I like this night a lot. Interestingly, Danny White, who spoke at this, made reference to the fact that it looks like this is they're going to try to make this now a yearly thing. This is now going to be a yearly thing here, guys. So we might be having a Hall of Fame every year during the spring. I hope. I really hope so. I, I don't know how many they plan on inducting each time, but I really right. do hope that they make it a yearly thing because it should be a yearly thing. Um, and, and I know that now that now that they if if that's true and they are making that commitment to make it an annual event, um, that's a wonderful way to sort of celebrate sort of a second homecoming. I think. Uh, it, it afterwards, so, um, so I yeah, I, I, I think that's a very, uh, very good, good job by, um, by, uh, by Danny White if that's going to happen, and it'll give us a chance to actually talk, you know, build up to that and maybe see who else gets nominated. I wonder how, I wonder when the nomination process opens up. 
Well, I'll tell you, hopefully they do it. Yeah, hopefully they could give it more time and things like that. It's plus our content, all our content, Black Eagle yeah. will not be. We'll, we'll just bring that back up. Because um, I do have content some farms, I think, baby. I think if, if you look at next year, some early kind of you know little guesses for next year. You know, Kevin Smith made reference to Josh Sitton, who just retired from the NFL. Yeah, uh, recently. Could he be in the mix for a Hall of Fame induction next year from a football standpoint? Um, I think Amanda Crumwell, who was ironically there, uh, I think could be one of the front runners for to get in next year. Because uh, I think you're going to see some run of women's soccer players uh, make the Hall of Fame here in the next few years. So uh, does a basketball player make it? That's going to be an interesting question. I mean, obviously a lot of people are asking about Jermaine Taylor. But remember, there, there's certain criteria you have to make, one of them being you have to have your degree. And if you don't have your degree, you're not eligible. And I think that's kind of what's Jermaine's situation. Otherwise, he would have been in. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating to see how this evolves, because I know you've talked about this. The, the long-term plan is they're going to have a Hall of Fame building, right? Now, did they uh, confirm? Now, that, well, I was going to ask you that. Did, they, did anyone actually confirm that there was going to be a physical Hall of Fame? Uh, no, but I think it's been implied. So I think okay. it's kind of like, let's wait till this thing is, we, we, once it's, we know this thing is like good to go, we'll, you know, we'll promote it big. Cause and, what I've heard is it is going to exist in that building that they're putting up between the, the Nicholson Fieldhouse and the Wayne Dench Center, that it's going to sort of be like an athletics office hub. And don't quote me on this. I heard that it would be like on the first floor. Seems to me like it would be like there would be like some sort of grand entryway with with that there, right? So um, with the plaques there. So, but I don't know 100 percent for sure. I hope hopefully somebody from UCF Athletics, if you're listening, just hit us up and just make sure about that because I because I, I think that it should. Yeah, I mean, you never know these buildings that they that everything changes, right? But um, yeah, it should be. It, it should be a place that people can go to. And if it's in that place, then that means people can visit uh, visit it on game days walking up to the stadium, which would be kind of cool. Yeah, no, I think it'd be cool. And, um, you know, another couple of notes. Allison was uh, honored on Saturday at the softball game. They unveiled the banner with a number 10 in the left f- uh, field foul pole area right next to the Stephanie Best number three. Uh, she was uh, inducted there in softball there. And then, her, as we mentioned earlier, her and uh, Alini Reyes and Brandon Marshall were uh, honored before the spring game. George was not there, as I mentioned. I'm not being funny. He actually did drive back home and actually hosted, I believe it was the women's golf team, because I guess they Correct. were they were participating in the well, championship nearby where he's living. Yeah, 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 because so he used to live in Ponce Inlet, I know, and and he sold that house, and I think he lives in he lives in Palm Coast now. And they were playing the tournament in Palm Coast. So yeah. he had them over and, and that was nice. I thought that was really good by George and Sharon O'Leary to to do that. George did say that he will uh, plans on attending more football games. He is not a good fan on TV. He says he calls too many timeouts when he's watching the games on TV. And uh, he was a big endorser of Josh Heupel. As a matter of fact, here in the media availability here, George talks about the job that Josh Heupel did last year and uh, maybe deserve more credit. Here was George O'Leary from the media availability at the Hall of Fame ceremony about Josh Heupel. Well, Josh, very mature guy, and obviously he's been there, done it, and, you know, well-organized practice, and uh, and uh, he moves the field well, and that's what I look at. Are they, are they practicing? You know, what, what are they getting done? And, and uh, I'm very happy with him, and I, I think it was a very good choice by Danny to 
to select him as the coach. And uh, great season last year, tough under those circumstances going in, following undefeated season. And uh, I, I thought he held up very well and did an outstanding job. And that was George O'Leary. And he actually mentioned Heupel in the ceremony there where he was trying to like, hey, Josh, I want you to commit to the program. And then Josh followed up with, I agree with you, coach. The plaques are too small. So it was a pretty funny line. Um, but it was interesting because George has said he's been to a Josh Heupel practice and things. So I feel like I feel like Josh Heupel has probably kind of opened the doors to George here a little bit, uh, you know, without kind of uh, speculating too much. But, you know, that, that was very interesting, kind of some of the interesting dialogue that you would get uh, from George there. And then of course, Kevin Smith, you know, that quite, you know, Kevin Smith, obviously being inducted is obviously the FAU running back coach. UCF's going to play at FAU seven o'clock kick, by the way. Uh, Kevin talked about playing UCF and what happened last year. Here was his Kevin Smith's thoughts on the UCF FAU game. We got to play better. We got to play better. I mean, I, I like, you know, I haven't talked about that game, but I, I like where we were at. Uh, we came on the road, we were down 14 quick. Obviously, we know the, the power of the offense, and they play good defensive ball. We went on a 17-0 run. Uh, and, and in that stadium with those fans that I'm well aware of, uh, you have to capitalize. And one thing you can't do is get a ball to them uh, with that offense. And that's what we did. And they show why they, you know, why UCF is UCF. So bottom line, when we get them this year in our house, we just got to play better. And obviously, it's going to come down to talent and coaching. So we're excited. That was Kevin Smith's uh, thoughts there on the FAU game. And you know, it was interesting hearing Kevin answer that question about he kind of knew what to expect. Uh, they dug themselves a hole. He liked where they were when they scored those 17 straight points. He thought they hung in there, and he just felt they gave him too many chances. But he feels that, you know, they got a chance if they play better and coach better. But he's it was an interesting answer that Kevin gave there about that football game last year. He felt pretty good about it, and I think he feels good going into this year. Yeah. Um, we also heard, I, I did see, you know, what was fun was that I saw, um, uh, we saw Mackenzie Milton there, um, yep. and he was glad handing, um, with everybody. I, I want to go back to Brandon real quick because there seemed to be like a little bit of an element of finality to it, but he's, he says he's not done yet. Right. Correct. He kind of left the door open because they asked him about it. Like, hey, you know, are you going to hang out? He's like, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I think I still got something left in me. So he kind of teased it as a left it open there a little bit. He's obviously putting a word out for the mental health because obviously he had to deal with that. Yeah, uh, that was a big case there. But, you know, he was just excited uh, and about UCF being back at UCF. And he still follows UCF as he talked about here in the clip. We'll play. He talked about the the success that UCF has and it's how it's grown. Surprised, uh, but I am a little shocked that it happened so fast, right? Like, I mean, it's Florida. You know, we, we're a talented state in all sports, uh, boys and girls, so I'm not surprised. Um, but that just says a lot to what the guys before us have done, you know, going back to Coach Cruz, going back to Jimmy Frizzell, Doug Gabriel, and Dante Culpepper, and Coach Beckton, uh, Richard Jefferson. You can go on and on and on. Uh, Santi Samuels, Elton, I already said Elton. Um, so what those guys were able to do, you know, they gave us the opportunity to be the first to go to a bowl game, right? And then, you know, being national champions now, uh, it's just, it's just uh, remarkable. That was Brandon Marshall there. Uh, looked very dapper, as you would expect, sharp. Uh, it was cool to hear him talk about how he was the defensive back who was playing safety yeah. 
and Mike Sims Walker was at corner because George said he would be he would have made a great safety in the NFL. And then Brandon's yeah. like, yeah, I, I, I get it, but I'm happy I'm a wideout. <laughs> yeah, I think it worked um, out. <laughs> yeah, it did. But it was cool to hear Brandon. Brandon is still very influenced, involved with UCF. It's still you could hear it in his voice, passionate about UCF. It was just awesome to see him catch up with a lot of people there that helped them get to the way they they all mentioned the academic advisor that helped them during the process. Christy uh, Belding. Yes, she got mentioned a lot. In fact, it was funny. They joked about how she always would text him, and she texted him today about the making the, about the speech and everything like that. And uh, it was just awesome to see them still not forget where they came from. And I think yeah. that's the cool thing from that. And I hope I hope we continue to do this more, and I hope it continues to grow more because I know there's a lot of fans and a lot of the uh, fan base that you know think that two years ago was the start of UCF football, and and. And while the last few years have been unbelievable for the football program, we've had a lot of great football players and success prior to that, a long time prior to that. We're talking during the O'Leary era. We're talking about the Gene McDowell era. uh, You know, just a lot of great history that I hope people appreciate that have helped pave the way to where UCF is now. Yeah, absolutely right. Real quick before we go, and I want to throw this open to to the both of you. Uh, let's say they choose five people for next year. Who do you think should get in? I have no idea. Oh, oh come on. I've not, not thought of this at one bit. Oh, I have. Come on. I, Eric, Eric has. I got my own thoughts, too. Go ahead, Eric. Who do yeah. you well, I think, I think Amanda Cromwell jumps at the list. Uh, I, in fact, if you, if you bet me, if you force me to pick one, if I had to put money on the line and say, who will be in this class next year? I think Amanda Cromwell will be it because of her resume. And I just, again, uh, the women's soccer history success, I think she'll be in there. You know, after, after that, it gets kind of interesting. Uh, I know Jeff, I'll defer to you. There's some volleyball players that are up for it. And one that I'm right now, I'm having a hard time uh, remembering how to pronounce her name. It's Rorotska or something like that. It is um, um, really, this was before Sarton, before Delena Sarton, but it was uh, about a decade ago. Uh, that that's been kind of maybe pr- brought up from a volleyball standpoint, uh, but I would say I'll let you look figure that out while I kind of think of my head. I think Josh Sitton I mentioned could be a, a, a strong candidate. You know, if they stick to their roles here with seven years, you know, like is, if Blake Bortles has his degree, does he become eligible? I don't know. Maybe he's a year yeah. or two away. Uh, See, I, Jermaine- I don't know if Blake. I don't know if Blake has his degree. I don't. I I, I would hope that. He and Jermaine, if they haven't, have at least begun the process of coming back to to kind of finish up. I know Brandon finished finished his degree in the off season. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah uh, it, it, uh, so I think Josh Sitton. Um, I think Josh Sitton. I would make a heavy favorite just because of his NFL success, right. uh, which does you know that that does play a factor in this as far as certain categories. Um, so I think he's a factor. Uh, I, I so I would say Cromwell and Sitton are the front runners. Uh, basketball wise, it just kind of gets tricky at that point because, you know, uh, I guess technically a Keith clan would be eligible, but again, what happens with Jermaine Taylor? Um, the thing is, I'm not a fan, by the way, of the degree, having a degree being mandatory to get into the hall of fame, because I don't see a scenario where a men's soccer player or a track and field star is going to make the hall of fame. If that's the case, because a lot of them have to leave early for their professional jobs, uh, and their careers like track and field, you know, if you want to make. You know, you, you want to have a career in men's soccer, you go pro early a lot of times. So I think we have to soften that a little bit, I hope, down the road, because a lot of these athletes 
come to UCF to, you know, we all come to UCF because you want to improve your chances of getting the job in your whatever profession. Well, what if that profession basically has you leaving early and you don't finish your degree? I, I don't think that's fair. I, 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 I get it. I get it. Like if you, it's because it's a university's athletic department hall of fame. And if the university's message is you want to come here excel in your sport and be set for the rest of your life education wise because that's why you're there if they're selling that ideal then i totally get it and it also provides the incentive of hey you know it, it doesn't mean you're ineligible just come back and get your to finish off your degree there's a number of different ways you can do that in the offseason as brandon marshall has Dante Culpepper finished his degree after his playing career was up. And I know George O'Leary was instrumental in doing that for um, the both of them. I think, I think Kevin also um, finished his degree. Well, Kevin was different because point, Kevin right? have to, had to have a degree if he wanted to go into coaching. And he actually talked about right. that. So that's a and different scenario because he wanted well, to he was the GA here. He, he finished his degree. So, um, right. So, yeah, but, but I, I, I see what you mean, but I, I do think, Surprise! I disagree with you, Eric. Um, I I I do think it's it's the right criteria to have because it doesn't cloud the mission of the university. Which, let's face it, if it's not for the university, the athletic department doesn't exist. So that's 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 where I. But I, I would argue that the if the person leaves early, has a great career, and helps the university exposure, that's you know the university gets something out of it. I think just because you didn't get a piece of paper does not mean that you didn't contribute to the university. Well, we could go back and forth on that. I think yeah. there's some interesting questions too that've got to be cleaned up. That will now will be interesting. For example, the Gene McDowell situation. I think the that yeah. Uh huh. That's the does big that one situation that get cleared up? Do they get rid of the felony rule where if you have a felony? Uh, because that's why he's not in there because of his felony. Because I guess what he lied under oath or supposedly or was yeah, proven to be. Thing that actually ended up ended up costing him his career at UCF. Correct. That so that's case. a hot topic. Does that change? Do we see a Jay Bergman down the road get in? Uh, I think Clay Tipner is probably the next guy. If you want to look at baseball, could be the next guy that gets in possibly, or maybe a Chris Duffy or Shane Brown. I could see one of those three getting in next year in baseball. I, I you know, what our mutual friend, I think the good news about this, if it's every year, that's going to help the case of people like Janae Shinhoster mm -hmm. from softball that maybe has been looked over because of two icons and best in time, maybe overshadowed. By having this every year, now you can maybe look back at her resume instead of like, oh, four years from now, we forgot because we have all these other softball people. So I think Shinhoster's in the mix. Maybe a Natalie Land's in the mix from a softball standpoint. Uh, so those are some of the names that I think will be kind of discussed in uh, next year. But if I had to bet two money, uh, two guarantees is probably two people I would say would be uh, Amanda Cromwell and I would say uh, Josh Sitt. I'm if going all in on my I'm going all in on my old school. I think that I think that one of the things that is happening is if they're going annual that the old school guys, I think that helps out their case because now I, it was like you talked about before that if they were doing it every other year, that could lock some people out. Um because of because of the the classes that are coming in. But I'm still in I'm still all in from uh, for Darren Slack. I'm still all in for Mark Giacone, and I'm all in for Steve Slack, Darren's dad, because the story that Darren told me um, about how he 
was instrumental in saving the program. I mean, there could be there. It's it's entirely possible that in another parallel universe, there is no UCF football um, because Darren uh, because Darren's dad Steve decided not to step in and save it from financial ruin, um, and that's key. Like that that's that to me, you know, looking back at the history of it, that's the fork in the road moment for UCF's football program as a in terms of its existence is was what he was able to do with the gate crashers in the 80s and and saving UCF from the spectacular amount of debt that it was in at that time in in 80s terms it was a lot of money so um and he can get in as a contributor I think Darren deserves to get in as a player I think Mark deserves to get in as a player um and um I agree with you on a, on Amanda I think she's going to get in um uh, Janae, I, I, I'm, I'm on the record as pulling for Janae. I, I want, uh, I want Janae to get in. Um, and, uh, you know, after that, I think it really does get, um, get, get pretty, uh, interesting. Um, I'll give you another sleeper name. Latavius Murray could be a guy. Yeah, let's take could with, be in. Yeah. With his NFL career. I think his last year at UCF was like 2012. So I think he'll be eligible by next year. Um, and I would assume he has his degree. I know we've seen him around. Uh, I could see Latavius being a factor there uh, from a football standpoint, because I, I think there's always going to be a, a football or two. And I do think if this is an annual thing, that's going to help the cases of some of the old timers, because and I don't think you're going to have five members every year. Maybe you will. But if you are, then that's going to help guys like, you know, maybe maybe you do something where you make sure there's a couple, two, a couple from the Olympic sports, maybe you, maybe one from an old era and then the new era. I mean, you could, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Cool. All right. Uh, so we have some recap. I know, I know Eric, you have a recap of that that's going on the site. Oh, uh, yes. I'll get around to it. Uh, which is basically just kind of a cliff notes. You'll see some of the videos of the hall, hall of fame and, uh, just kind of a cool weekend. And uh, again, congrats to everybody involved in that. Yeah. It was cool. Like, like John, and again, John was tremendous. Cause he literally, I saw him at the softball field. He made sure Allison got it honored uh, with the, with the, with the banner and then made sure she made it on time to the football game for the pregame ceremonies, which took place about at two fifteen. He made sure everything went smoothly with Allison to be both at softball and at football. So uh, credit to him and a lot of the people behind the scenes to make this a, a smooth thing for everybody. Yeah. No, amen to that. Amen to that. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Um, Murph, uh, well, you're going to be following this baseball team as it uh, as it tries to yay slog on through, man. It's uh, but what else you got coming? Not going up? to Wichita that... though, for the record. He's not going. To I'm not going no. to Wichita. I mean, I would certainly be going to Clearwater next month. But other than that, I do not see myself uh, going on any baseball road trips in the near future um i other than that boy it sure is thin out here isn't it uh, <laughs> we're, we are entering we are getting close to the summer certainly the weather out here in orlando says spring is about to die and uh and thus we're gonna we're gonna have to really what do we what do we do last summer for content jeffrey i forgot it's all a blur. Oh, wait, well the podcasts were all uh we didn't write that much but remember we only have to do like one post a day now so i the podcasts were all the uh, the summer sessions. 
Yo, so that's right. We're taking on that, right? Yeah. So how anybody, about, how about, how about I, how about I go a three month, a three month, a three month warning on this? I'm trying to get a press pass for a late August Tampa Bay Rays game that'll feature the Seattle Mariners, which will hopefully have both Chase and Radford and Dylan Moore on the Mariners roster at the time. It's called for, Murph. It's called it's, summer sessions, not fall sessions. You have to it's remember August, Jeffrey. August is in the summer. <laughs> And so hey, Murph, remember, I gave you the heads up. UCF football is at Pittsburgh the uh, two days earlier. The Mariners will be in Pittsburgh. So let's talk. Let's talk about this for one second. How cool! Would, I'm definitely doing this. If this is possible. Right. The day before, the day before UCF plays Pittsburgh in football at Pitt, the Mariners play the Pirates two days, in PNC. Two days earlier. Two days earlier. It's a Thursday matinee. Oh, that's gonna be tougher for me. I thought it was a Friday game. It's a Saturday game. Uh, yeah. We'll see. But uh, there's a, there's, yeah. I don't know about that anymore. See now, now I'm. I don't know if I want to be in Pittsburgh for four days. Now you're <laughs> out, right? <laughs> now, now, now I'm. Now I'm second guessing. Now I need to go. Now I need to go sell the tickets I just bought to a Mariners Pirates game. <laughs> Come on, did you really buy tickets? No, I did not buy tickets. Oh, it's a joke, like Eric. Oh, I know. Uh, I believe everything you would have said. I would have believed. I would have not have been shocked if you bought. You would have been the one person I would not have been shocked. If you bought tickets this advance, I, I no, see. no, no. I mean, I was definitely only if that if that Pittsburgh game was on a Friday, I definitely would have been. It was a it's a twelve thirty five start Thursday afternoon. Mariners Pirates. I've yet to be at PNC Park, which is one maybe the most beautiful park in baseball. Um, uh, so anyway, this has nothing to do with anything, much less anything to do with UCF. <laughs> much less anything to do with UCF. But uh, I wanted to let you all know that I might be going to Pittsburgh for a baseball game in September. So there's that. Fabulous. That's. I mean, that uh, is UCF related. It's right, you know, for people that are going to make it's, the trip. It's, yeah, it's UCF. Like it's UCF tangential. It's yeah. It's, it's sort of <laughs> somewhat related. Elo, By the way, you yeah. Since we had the like a forty minute conversation with the Hall of Fame there, as you were listening <laughs> off names about teams that are going in the Hall, uh, guys who would go in the Hall of Fame or, or UCF athletes who go in the Hall of Fame. My problem is I don't know what the standard is for like how good you have to be to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think we saw this year's like, not so much about what you did for UCF. Like Brandon Marshall was a, was a very good player who had one like outstanding season and really more like one outstanding bowl game against Nevada. He gets into the Hall of Fame because he's, he's a borderline NFL Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. He, he got <laughs> so, in on a separate, but that's a separate category. See, they, they have two different categories. So like, for example, Kevin Smith, Allison and Aline got in based on their UCF careers. Whereas, mm-hmm. and George, for that matter, whereas Brandon and Drew got in under, and I forget what it's called, the name it's called, some fancy word it's called, but it's called basically Distinguished what, Knights or something like that. Right. Something to that extent okay. where you've done all, beyond UCF, beyond, because, you know, obviously I've got a lot of questions about Butera, but let's face it. I mean, take it for what it's worth. There has not been a UCF baseball player that has had a more successful Major League Baseball career than Drew Butera. He is the most recognizable baseball player. Uh, oh, I know absolutely. people make fun of that. That's fair. People, he's played a decade in Major League Baseball, which I don't care who you are. That's impressive. I mean, you I can mean, speak to this. Per- I mean, that's impressive. It's amazing because he literally has a career OPS of 558, <laughs> and he's played 10 years in the Major League. Look, I'm not making look no. I'm like, casting aspersions on Drew Butera at the very look, end of this podcast. God knows. God. God knows that Drew Butera is almost this close to taking out a restraining order on me because I stalk him <laughs> everywhere he goes. Literally, like, I stalk him. The Hall of Fame. I, he just assumed you were here. 
I stalked him on both coasts, gentlemen. I went to a sporting goods store when he was on the Dodgers for an autograph session that Drew Butera held in Los Angeles, and I stalked him when he came down here for the Rays game uh, against the Royals last year. I am literally Drew Butera's, like, ghostwriter at this point. Uh, but it is amazing that he has lasted 10 years in the league. That tells you what defense and framing will do for you. Uh, I will say, like, it, you know, among the names you mentioned, and I will just go off of baseball because it's one I'm most familiar with from the years back in 2006, 7, 8, 9. Uh, Chris Duffy literally had the year where he was one of the top five players in, co- in all of college baseball. Oh, like, like finalists, in, right? In, in any way, in any way you want to cut it, he was one of the top five players in college baseball. And I think that alone should get you, like, in the Hall of Fame. And that's what, you know, we don't have a lot of, like, we don't have a whole lot of, like, obvious picks. So why don't you just pick a guy who, for one year, was literally one of the best players in the sport. That's yeah. that's my that's my two cents. I'm all in for Duff, man. I think he, yeah, I think he deserves. And Shane Brown deserves to be in too. I think he's Shane Brown. Right. Another one. I mean, there's a lot of baseball guys for sure. Yeah, I mean, but then you get to like guys like like Tyson Hour and Kiko Vasquez. Like they were good players, but like well, like you know Clay, like like yeah, Shane Brown's a nice player. Clay Tempner was a really consistent player, and he played in the he played in the Giants system for a few years. So like, and I think he got a cup of cup of coffee in the majors. Um, yeah, that, that, that's like that. If that's your baseline for a Hall of Famer, I, I guess I'm not really familiar with it. So I want to sort of set up the conversation as much as I can. It really, it really, what really hurt me was that nine year stretch from 2009 to 2016, where uh, I really was about 3000 miles separated from this entire <laughs> university. Well, my, my, my advice would be then Murph next weekend when the UCF is hosting Memphis, you and our good friend trace, you sit next to each other instead of watching the actual current product. <laughs> you guys should come up with the baseball list of who should be Man. future Hall of Famers. How about that? that oh, everyone, Trace. We'll, def- we'll yeah. definitely do that. We will talk about we will talk about better days like UCF baseball in 2004. <laughs> Man. <laughs> All right, let's wrap. Um, Elo, you said uh, it, this. By the way, I have a, I'm making a prediction here. This is going to be the summer of Elo on BlackAndGoldBanneret.com because Probably. we have. A bu- I, I have in the hopper a bunch of story ideas that I just it, it, it's it's right in your wheelhouse, man. I, I want to we're talking about like all time teams that I got that I got Ooh. talking about uh, like your all time UCF softball starting nine. Uh, you know, Hopefully it doesn't UCF. involve any me breaking news of softball coaches leaving. But, you know, like, <laughs> um, like last year when we <laughs> Listen, Woj, keep it positive around here. We, we need we need some consistency. Um, the you know uh, what else? Like all time UCF basketball starting five, I think would be a fun one to take a look at. Um, uh, yeah, we got the bannies coming out too soon. Now, bannies are going to be coming out soon, and uh, I think we're competition. around May. So, um, so that's going to be fun. So we got a lot of stuff that's going to be coming up for you here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast as we wrap things up. Don't forget to finish to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter and Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. And thanks also to uh, Jeremy Brenner. Follow him at Jeremy Brenner on yeah, Twitter. We're tweeting a lot of rocket stuff uh, this week. Like, I know. I'll be tweeting a lot of we magic need, stuff from we need the to magic put a game. Rockets filter on Jeremy's Twitter feed because it, obviously he does a lot of work with the SB Nation Houston Rockets site and he's really proud of that. And he does an outstanding job with that, by the way. But, uh, um, but hey, listen. Like, I mean, this is Orlando, man. We we gotta we gotta we gotta focus on the magic here, and at least during the Eastern Conference. I'll so. be there enjoy Friday and Sunday night, baby. There we go. Enjoy enjoy, enjoy your five game series. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
That's two paychecks I'm getting, all right? Let's get, That's give me, right. Give me That's to, right. Just to six so I can get three. That's all, man. You know. Batman's. All right. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black <laughs> Banner Podcast. We'll catch you next week.